it's it's really helpful to get other people's perspectives and opinions, isn't it? Because it can help us to process in our own life. You guys all made it to the last session on Saturday. Good job. Um, I wanted to uh, I wanted to um, hit on a few things real quick. Um, it sounds like you guys asked a lot of questions in your workshops, which I think is fantastic. Um, I'm really, really glad you did that. There, I think having the questions, and one uh, thing it sounds like for me just perusing the questions and talking to some of the workshop leaders is basically I'm reaping what I'm sowing, where you guys are saying, this is my exact situation how can I do it, basically? You know what I mean? So you're trying to process what we're talking about and apply it to your life and your situation, which is a very, very good thing to do. That makes me very, very happy. And sometimes translating like what I'm talking about and what a workshop speakers talking about to your exact situation can, can be challenging because the situations are different. For example, um, there were, there was a question, a couple questions about, um, from this morning session where they said, you know, I enjoy doing my hair and decorating my house and all that kind of stuff. Is that okay for me to do? And what do you guys think the answer to that question is? Absolutely. So I, I was just using those and I tried to express it, but I may not have done so strong. If I was using those examples to give you examples of what it's like to let some things go, to let some things go. And chances are, if you're really into like your appearance and beauty, I'm not saying that's a bad thing or even health or something like that. And you're really into it for whatever reason, that's fine. But that means you're probably going to have to let some other things go. Um, if you're going to like spend more time getting ready in the morning or something like that, then you might not be able to make your lunch or something. I don't know. But the point is, is that, um, you do whatever you do. You know, I'm, I'm spending a lot of time studying, you know, things that aren't the Bible. And that's not for a lot of people. You know, I'm going to school and it takes a ton of time. And one could argue that's not really, you know, that doesn't really have eternal value. That's not directly helping your relationship with God or something like that. But that's what I feel God's called me to do. And I'm trying to be obedient to him in the work that he's given me to do. But that means that I can't cook like I used to cook. You see what I'm saying? So I've had to let that go. I don't cook as well as I used to when I wasn't going to school because I'm going to school. And so it's the whole act of removing what we don't need in our lives. So, so you have to figure out what that is for your life. Um, and this, I mean, the whole intention of the, of the session this morning was not at all to make you feel guilty for caring about any of those things because God wired people differently. And some people are super creative, super artsy, you know, it would drive them nuts or some people would drive them absolutely nuts to not vacuum every day. It's like, it's a really important thing to them. Now, I don't understand that at all, but nonetheless, if that's your thing and you, you can vacuum three, four times a day, as far as I'm concerned, do this vacuum as much as you want, but you know, then you might not, you know, have to do, do something else or whatever. So that's, so that's the idea to not, this is a place of freedom in here, right? You will go in and out freely and enjoy green pasture, right? So some people, they might look like supermodels all the time. It's not a stumbling block to them. It's just the thing. It's this thing they like to do or whatever. Other people could be a major stumbling block. You know what I'm saying? That could really, really harm you spiritually. But that's between you and the Lord. So don't feel guilty about anything. But just keep those things in an open hand, you know, and also different seasons of life, right? 
So anyway, so do what floats your boat. I was just doing that as an example. Now, uh, another, um, another thing was, um, basically, basically talking about how it practically happens. How can we, how can we, um, how can we uh, be juggling this all the time? We have real, we have legitimate responsibilities in our lives. We have legitimate responsibilities, our jobs, our families. You know, for example, if you have an unsaved husband and you just say, forget it, I no longer care about cleaning, I no longer care about cooking, I no longer care about my appearance, you know, I no longer care about all those things that might not be, you know, God's plan for the big picture of your family, your marriage, or whatever. Um, so anyway, uh, I think that that is a, the answer to that a little bit is seasons is a, a little bit seasons of life and there's different seasons of life. And we, um, it's not like we have this permanent thing where this is the way I am. This is the whole thing we talked about with life in general last night, right? Life changes us. I used to be OCD about cleaning. Now I couldn't care less about cleaning, you know, because I've got this other stuff. It's, it's a seasons of life issue. So that's that's where if you think about the things that are causing you stress and you make a list in your journal, the things that are causing you stress, my job, my kids, my husband, my house, my weight, whatever you think, how, um, what is causing me the most stress? And is that something that I can take out? Can I worry less about what grade my kid is getting in spelling in third grade? You know, is it essential that they get hundred percent on every single test in third grade on spelling? Or is that something I can let go? You see what I mean? And uh, as women, my observation, and I think this is true for myself too, we tend to want to defend what we're valuing with our behavior. Well, I can't let that go. I can't let that go. I can't let that go. And that's what I was trying to get to this morning of just realizing the minimalism of maybe I can let that go. You know, and, and weight is a great example of that. I understand weight, you know, you don't want to be heavy, can hurt your blood pressure or whatever. You know, it can hurt your health and you can get type 2 diabetes. And so we understand that weight is a problem. However, for the amount of time we as women worry about our weight and the very small amount that it fluctuates, you know, you work your tail off for like six months and you lose like half a pound, you know. <laughs> That's just a total waste of time as far as I'm concerned. You know, I have got better things to do. So, um, so that's an example of that's something that seems and feels really important, especially in the world we live in that values really thin people. But maybe that is something that isn't the most important thing at this season of my life. And maybe once your kids are out of the house and you have a ton of time and you can go to the gym for two hours every day, Fine, go for it. You know what I'm saying? But maybe that's something that needs to be cut at this time. So instead of, um, try to be honest with yourself and instead of defending, this is the absolutely the most important. I can't let this go. This is the most important. I can't let this go. This is the mo- most important. I can't let this go. You know, eating organic is the most important thing, you know, period. Well, I'm here not to offend you, but to say that it isn't the most important thing. So if it's important to you and you'd like to make it a priority, go for it. But I'm saying at some point in our life, and there was very quiet when I said that organic isn't the most important, but um, at some point in our life, we have to say we have to cut 
things. And that's why we're all stressed and why we're all busy. And that was my whole food example of how I just realized I'm stressed out. I hate going to the grocery store. I never, you know, I'm always having to cook, you know, blah, blah, blah. And there's a stress. And I realized, you know what? I'm going to take that down a whole big notch. I'm going to lower my standard with that. This is not the most important thing at this season of my life. And so I'm just, you know, cutting that thing out. So that's, you know, and so I was trying to explain with the food example, you can see, I can still meet the needs of my family with food so we don't have to go out to eat every meal, but I can dramatically reduce the amount of time it takes, the amount of money it takes. You see what I'm saying? Somebody say, come on, you know, rice and, you know, 75% of the world lives on rice and beans. You know what I'm saying? So it is not going to kill your family to eat rice and beans a couple of nights a week. Somebody say amen. So if you want to spend, you know, four and a half hours all day cooking, that's fine if you have the time for it. But if you don't and you have a lot of pressure and you have other things or blah, 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 then just cook rice and beans for goodness sakes, you know? Cost you less than five bucks. It's amazing. Okay, so you guys picking up what I'm laying down there? So, so anyway, I think that we have to take honest inventories and we have to realize that that pressure and stress in our life is oftentimes a, something that the thief is using to steal, kill, and destroy us in our lives. And that's my big idea point. Because the more stressed out we are about that, and then the meaner we are to our kids, and, you know, all these things happen, and the the, the, um, thief um, comes to suck that life out of you, you know, because you don't have enough colors on your plate, you know, enough different colors. And so, and because of that, it's like, I'm a loser, you know. My kids are going to get a disease and die at a young age. You know what I'm saying? That's the thief still in killing and destroying our lives. And we have to be honest about that. And as long as we want to have the world standard and the Pinterest standard on every single area of our life, the way our house looks, the way our car looks, the way our hair looks, the way our makeup looks, the way our clothes look, the way our kids look, somebody say, come on then I can promise you, you'll have no time for your spiritual life. Somebody say, come on. Right? And I know you're here and you're setting aside that time so you already know that or you have a sense of that inside of you and you know that. So we have to take an honest inventory and say, you know, maybe that isn't the most important thing at this season of my life. Okay? Um, As women, obviously, we have the challenge of... Um, we have the challenge of trying to balance with a spouse sometimes or with family or with kids balancing those needs. And that is a very challenging thing for women that we try to balance. You know, our kids need to do, is it more important for our kids to get an A on their spelling test or is it more important for me to go to bed on time? You know what I mean? So we as women have these challenges all the time, all the time where we're having to try to prioritize what's the most important thing, what's the most important thing. And the only like cookie cutter answer I could give you for that is once again, remove some of those things so, so that you're not equating being a good mother with giving them baths two times a day, having them dress like a magazine every single day, having them eat gourmet organic meals every single day. You see what I'm saying? Have them never walking to school every day, having the best cell phone every day. You see what I'm saying? So we're equating some, this is really good stuff right here. So we're equating being a good mother as all those things that 
aren't being a good mother. That has nothing to do with being a good mother. That has to do with us feeling better about ourselves because of what the thief has stolen and destroyed from our lives. To be a good person, my kid has to have two baths every day. Well, that's not the case. I'll tell you right now, and I'm getting super fired up. Um, I can tell you right now that that doesn't make you a good mother and that doesn't make you a good person. Okay? It doesn't. Now, if your kid has some skin disease or something and they need two baths every single day, then I'm not referring to that, okay? So so anyway, so I'm saying even when we say we need to be a good mother, we have mashed into that so many things that do not matter and have nothing to do with being a good mother. And so... I mean, this, this will change your world, okay? This will super change your world. You can say that, um, students, if you're in college, you can say, you know, I need to go to get this degree for what I believe God has called me to do. Well, that doesn't mean you have to get 100% on every single test or you have failed God in the purpose of your life. You know what? Sometimes you just have to pass the test and move on to the next class. You know what I'm saying? When you go to get a job, I am getting so fired up right now. <laughs> when you go to get a job, you typically do not put your GPA on your resume, okay? That's only for you, so you feel like a good person, okay? That doesn't matter at all. So so it's like you can do that. So that's what I'm saying about, and I'm not saying like be mediocre in every area of your life, but I'm just saying that what we have placed as our expectation of what it means to be a good woman, a good mother, a good wife, a good Christian, a good student, you know, a good employee is very skewed. And so you pile all those things on top of it. It's no wonder that we're stressed out, right? It's no wonder that we're under pressure. And it's no wonder that when, when we come out, we're just like, we're just like, you know, this limping sheep ready for the enemy wolf to just come in and terrorize us because we're so weak and dilapidated and sleep deprived and, you know, starving from trying to reduce our calorie intake. You know what? Eating more calories might be the most spiritual thing you could ever do. That might be the best gift you could give to your family. Somebody say, come on. So, and we all know that. You reduce your calories and like your attitude goes up exponentially. The opposite direction. The more calories you reduce, the worse attitude you have towards everyone in your life. All right. So anyway, so that's what I've got to say about that. Okay. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. There was some um, other stuff that came in in the, in the, um, the moms small group talking about isolation marriage. There are so many uh, issues that come up related to uh, real natural life um, in terms of being a mom in particular. And there's so much to cover in that workshop. We should probably have another workshop at some point talking about those things. But, um, but I think that um, let me, I just want to hit on just a couple things about motherhood. Okay. One is that you have to give yourself permission to not, like, be designed for that stage in the life of your child. Okay? It's not like because you have an XY chromosome that all of a sudden you have to adore a colicky two-month-old. Okay? 
It doesn't work that way. And so there's like different um, seasons of life. And we think if I'm a good person, if I'm a good mother, that means I love every single second. I love being sleep deprived. I love cleaning up vomit. I love, you know, trying to figure out if I should take them to urgent care, you know, all this sort of thing. And, and so once again, to just release that standard a little bit in your life. And the same with your marriage. You know what? Um, if your marriage doesn't look like a marriage that's on TV, guess what? Nobody's marriage looks like a marriage on TV. Nobody's husband is like that, probably. You know what I'm saying? And so, and so we look at that when we're home with our babies watching all this stuff and it's like all those other guys look super nice and like super understanding and they help with the kids all the time and stuff like that. And so, so it's very, very easy to even hold our spouses, the fathers of our children, even our children, um, to a standard that we're not even meeting for our own life. So, as weird as this sounds, what I would say in terms of your marriage is just lower your expectations. Don't expect perfection. Thank you, Sarah, for nodding your head. See? Lower your expectations. And I haven't watched enough TV recently to know, like, a, a couple on TV that's, like, totally ideal, idyllic or whatever. whatever. Um, it's like that. But just remember that those are not reality. You, it's, Walt said, has said, um, in terms of our marriage, the hardest three years of our marriage were the first years after each one of our children was born. They're very hard years and they're just hard. And so you just get through it. And because of sleep deprivation and like, just, you know, the guys pulled and the, I'm working, I got these kids and the wife is mad all the time. And, you know, it's just a very stressful time. So just don't, don't look at that. Like my marriage is over because I hate my husband's gut today. Okay. Just, just ride things out a little bit. Lower your standards. Don't expect your husband to be perfect every day. I'm sorry. I promise to be real. This is real life. This is what you get by coming here. Okay. So anyway, you know, we, we, our husbands could do the same thing to us and expect us to look like supermodel, pretty thin every single day too. Right. So they're having to do the same thing. Um, in a way of just learners, not in a bad way of just saying, I'm not going to look like a TV couple, you know what I'm saying? And then we lower our standard and then we move on, you know, the kids start sleeping more and stuff like that. And if we show each other a little mercy and grace during those years, usually there's something to hang on in your marriage that you can move forward from after those really tough years pass by. That would be my semi short answer about that. Okay. All right. Um, oh man, this is how I always feel in this last session. I'm like, ah. okay. Uh, one or two other super quick things. Um, a couple, a few months back, I guess it's been more than that. I, I did a message at church on mental illness and the gospel. And I just wanted to mention that to you in case you haven't heard it. There's so many people that uh, mental illness is an issue. And actually mental illness, I bring it up because it has a big impact and can have almost this cloud overshadowing everything that we've talked about the last two days. If you're depressed or you, if you have a, 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 a 
clinically OCD or anxiety or bipolar or something like that. It can overstay. And the, sh- and the church and everybody, um, there's so much misunderstanding about it. I, I, um, so I spoke very, very frankly, kind of like I'm speaking this weekend, very frankly about mental illness. If you have mental illness, if there's mental illness in your family, if you feel suicidal, if you have attempted suicide, if there's, if one of your children has attempted suicide or anything like that, or mental illness is affecting you in some way, um, we have a few hard copies that are for free out at the info desk, or you can listen online. It's um, August 20th of 2017. And if you go to pick this up, just think about this as if this is, you're picking up a CD about type 1 diabetes and the gospel. Okay? No shame here. Type 1, this is just mental illness in the gospel. This is just a different kind of illness. And if you'd like to learn about what the gospel says about it, pick one up. Okay? All right. Um, oh, I was going to ask some questions, but I think for the sake of time, because I have one more illustration I want to talk about, we will, um, we'll go on. Um, but are you guys still awake and you're not falling asleep? Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to go through this real quick. And then if we have time at the end, I'm going to ask a few questions, but let's read our verses one more time. Uh, our verses are John 10, verse six through 10. Jesus told the simple story. I am the gate for the sheep. All those others are up to no good sheep stealers, every one of them, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate, and anyone who goes through me will be cared for, will freely go in and out and find pasture. The thief is only there to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came so that you can have real and eternal life, more and better life than you ever dreamed of. Those are such awesome verses, aren't they? All right, so what I want to talk about real quick, and hopefully this will be a a nice um, practical um, way for you to be thinking about these ideas as you head home today and and go to sleep early so that you can be at church tomorrow, right? It's basically an illustration, a still illustration about what is happening simultaneously spiritually in terms of God and in terms of the enemy, the thief. Now, what happens a lot of times is we have a, something like this and we feel like this. Who feels like this up here? Like, I am ready to go. I'm ready to cut things out of my life. I'm ready to live life. I'm not going to be, who feels that way? Come on, raise them nice and high. Good. All right, so you, anyway, or something like this, or say you go to church and the worship service is really good and you feel so close to God and you say, God, I'm going to give you my whole life. I'm going to like go to Afghanistan and, you know, I mean, you just feel so close to him and like super inspired to like live a different way and everything like that. And then you go a couple days in and we all know because this has happened to every single one of us, right? Uh, you go a couple days in and it's like you go back at it and, you know, the drain backs up and, you know, all this stuff and all this thing. So I want to kind of illustrate to you so you can get clear in your head because Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And I hope that this truth about this reality of your life in terms of God and in terms of the enemy and what's happening in your real everyday life, this truth will set you free. So this is the the start of the, let's say, okay. So this line, you might want to get your journal out. This line on the top is God and the spiritual, spiritual things. This is when you feel, you don't even know exactly what it is, but you're like in worship and you're just like, oh, nothing in life matters. Thank you, Jesus. I feel so good right now. You know, kind of like when I'm answering your questions, you know, I'm just kidding. Okay. And so anyway, 
um, so this is like, this is the spiritual plane. This is always there. This is there right now. Okay, this is, this is, there's a spiritual plane going on right now that we do not see, we do not necessarily feel, we don't necessarily understand, but it's happening right now. It, it's there if you're a Christian and you know it's there. It's there if you're not a Christian and you don't know it's there. It's still there, okay? Always going on. It's like a radio station that is always in the, you know, in the, in the clouds. It's always there, but if you turn it on, then all of a sudden you're like, wow, a radio station is there, right? 88.1 or whatever. And so um, you say, wow, that radio station is there. And it's been there all along, right? The radio station has been there all along, but you never heard the radio station. You never sensed the radio station. But all of a sudden you realize, wow, there's a radio station there. That's the way our spiritual life is. Okay, all the time God is there. God is there when your dad was beating you up and God was there, whatever. He was there all along, but you may have had no awareness, no realization that he was there. And he's always there. The Bible says he's there from the beginning to the end. He's always been there. So whether you knew before you came to real life, God was up there and was going on. But maybe last night at the altar time, all of a sudden you're like, wow, I feel God. I sense that he's there for the first time, maybe even, right? You guys understand? Okay, so then this is like the, the thief, the enemy. And, and the thief is also always there. Just like the predators in our illustration yesterday, right? The thief is always there. We don't realize it. We don't always know it. We don't sense it. We don't feel it. But he's always there. But every once in a while, something bad will happen, right? Something really bad will happen and we'll bump into this and we'll realize, wow. You know, there is something bad there, you know, that's trying to take me down. You understand? So it's like these parallel like things like God and Satan that are always going on at the same time, regardless of what we do has nothing to do with what we do. Those are the two things that are happening all the time. Then this is us. Okay. This is the natural life. This is the life in here. Okay. And, and so we'll go up and all of a sudden, like the first one might be the real conference and you just sense God, you sense him in your life. It's like nothing else matters, you know, like you're in the zone or whatever. And you sense God present. It could happen anytime. It could happen in your living room. Uh, um, Sonia's got stories of different times. God met her at different places at work, at home, at church in the prayer meeting, you know, anything could happen in your car, whatever. And then period. And then something might happen. You go out into natural life and we'll talk through what those are and it'll kind of go down but see when you hit that point let's see if i oops that's not what i want like that upside down um, mountain there that first mountain when you're down there do you necessarily feel and sense and hear god when you're down there yes or no but is he still there going about his business and going right along, even though we're not sensing it, even though we're not feeling it, right? And so it's in a way, it's like this. It's like God's always here. There's a stability of this pen and the shepherd there. And there's always the, there's always that out there. And we're going about our business. We're going to work. We're figuring out whether to take our kids to urgent care. We're figuring out whether we should lose weight or whatever. And so this is the course of our lives. And I want to give you some examples of what these things might look like. Um, 
so, okay, so say you, someone takes you or tells you about good news and you commit your life to God and Jesus is the boss, right? So you're going up in your awareness of God and you hit that line and then you're connected. You feel connection to God for a certain period of time, right? And then what happens is something happens where all of a sudden we might lose that feeling or that sensation of God. You lose your job. You get in a car accident. You, you know, um, you, uh, your husband yells at you. You, whatever. You break up with a boyfriend. Whatever. You lose your job. And so you go down. Now, God is still there. And you're not as far down where you're as clueless about God as you were. But... You're still down and you're not feeling his sense there right at that moment of what should I do? What should I, you know, is God really there? Is he really real? You know, that's what we do, right? I used to feel him, but was that really real? Because I don't really feel him now. You see? Then you come to church on Sunday and you go to the altar because you feel tingly all over and you feel God's presence. And you're like, I want to go back to where I was. I liked that feeling of connection that I had. And so I'm going to, I'm going to fix my eyes back on Jesus. Right. And then we feel connected for another period of time. This could be 60 seconds or this could be a month. Right. Whatever. Everybody's life is different. Then you have a, a sexual attraction to your boss. You kiss your boss at work and you're married and all of a sudden, boom, right? Your awareness of God, how close you feel to him and everything like that just plummets. You might even lose your salvation. You know, like, I don't even want to follow God anymore. I just think that was all a bunch of fake. You know, I think Christians are a bunch of hypocrites or you talk yourself into whatever, you know, or another option would be an offense with somebody, like that person was rude to me and I didn't like what they said. And if they were really a good Christian, they wouldn't be saying stuff like that to me. And I don't even know if I can believe that um, God exists because that person was so rude or whatever. And don't even say amen to that. But I hope we all feel convicted. And so then you have this doubt decision, this bitterness, bitterness at God. God, you know, it's like, I should have never believed that. I feel like a fool for having believed it in the first place. Well, all this time, what is always happening? God is there the whole time. We're in this natural life and different things are happening. Like we talked about last night, you lose your job. You know, Satan is there. Well, what is Satan's goal? His goal is to still kill and destroy your life. He does not want you connected to that blue line. He does not want you connected. And the bigger, the, the harder he can make you fall, the more doubt you have that God exists, the more disillusioned you become with Christianity or with Christians or something like that. I, I find that that's like such a big thing now that, that um, Satan uses to, to separate people from, from God. It's just like, oh, uh, not liking the way another Christian behaves or whatever, you know, of just saying, well, they're like, act like that. God must not be real or I'm not going to be a Christian associate myself with that. All right. So then you attend a service and you start feeling, you know what? Okay. And then, and then you have, and you have an encouraging conversation with somebody at church or, or a friend or whatever, but then you stay home and you decide <clears throat> not to come. 
you know, for, for whatever reason, I'm too tired. There's too many YouTubes in my need to watch folder. So I don't have time to go to the real workshop. Okay. Um, that's not you guys. I'm just playing. Okay, then you sense God in a moment, right? And, and then you're like, okay, now do you see what's happening in this process? You attend a service. You draw a little bit closer. You know, something might set you back, but then something happens. You sense God's presence. You have a conversation with somebody. You, f- you feel that God is real in some way, and you're getting closer. Do you see how much closer you're getting to the blue line? But then you're, you're desperately unhappy for whatever reason. I hate my marriage. I hate my life. I hate my job. I hate that I'm broke. I hate my apartment. I hate, you know, my car or whatever. And then you come to the real life conference, right? I'm just joking about that. But the point is, as you set this side a, to- a time where you're intentional, and we can say that that's cheesy, but the bottom line is when you set aside time in your natural life, that is what happens, that's why there's value in going to the prayer meeting, going to a small group, and going to church on Sunday. It's like you're putting yourself in a position to draw closer to God. And basically, you have two options in your life. You can either be connected to God, or you can be connected to the thief that wants to still kill and destroy you, or you can be wandering around in the middle, right? And so... So then we can move to where we're a lot more stable, where we trust without seeing. We don't have to be feeling God's presence every single second to believe that he exists. It's a sign of spiritual maturity. When you just don't, you don't have to uh, feel a tingly feeling. You don't have to like the worship song. You don't have to like the message or whatever or in order to know that God is there and that I'm connected to him. And that's the uh, issue of trusting without seeing. Now, notice that the line, the blue line is stable. It's unchanging and it's always there even when it's not seen. So God is always stable. He's all, God is in the same exact place as he was before we started service on Friday night. Exact same place. Right? He's always stable, always unchanging, and he's always there even when he's not seen. It's like the shepherd in the gate. He's always here. He's always here guarding the gate. It's just a matter of whether or not we realize it and whether or not we see it. But here's the thing. What about the red line? That is always stable. That is always unchanging. And that is always there when it's not seen. So that means that these, these predators um, that are spotted around here and there, they're always there too. And they're going to be there when you... Drive home and go home this afternoon. The, the red line is going to still be there in your life. What happens is, is we make choices to get ourselves up there closer to the blue line. But we always have to have a measure of faith of realizing, even if I don't feel it, even if I don't sense it, even if I don't see it, that blue line is always there. Even when I don't feel connected, if I am in Christ, if I am a, if I am a sheep, if I have gone through the gate and found him, then, then I know that he is there 
no matter what I feel like, no matter what the situation, no matter how much you weigh, or if you're trying to decide what to do about your food or what to do about your kid or what to do about your marriage or what to do about your job, it doesn't matter. The whole entire time, regardless of what's going on here, God is the same and he's right there and we're able to, to be connected to him if we like, if we want to or not. Now, I want you to draw another set of a blue line or just a line on top. You, you don't, you get that, or a red line down there. And I want you to draw in your notebook a line of maybe like the last year of your life. The last year of your life. Or maybe if it's like you want to do 10 years or maybe if you want to do one month. Whatever, you know, seems better to you. Draw a line. Start with where you're currently at on this end and work backwards. So draw a dot of where you're at right now. You had the real conference. Where are you at? Are you maybe, do you feel connected to God? Or maybe you feel closer to God than you were or whatever. And you can write really there. But draw your line of maybe the last year of your life. Get, think of the highlights. Think of the low points. Remember we talked about how our life has changed over the years. Um, yesterday we started off with that. So maybe you want to even do since high school, how your life has changed. A high point was when I had a kid. A low point was when I got divorced. This is a time I felt close to God at this event, at this prayer conference conference and in my living room or whatever. So try to hit your, when you felt closest to the blue line and when you're closest to the red line, I'm going to give you a minute or two and you can draw a straight line. Like say you're like in the middle all the time. Like I'm up in the air about this, you know, I don't know. And I have been for years. You can draw a flat line, but think about what we talked about, about how our life changes has changed over the years. And think about how your life has changed Think about when you felt close to God and think about when you felt far from him. I'll give you a minute. And write in that line what the event was. Now, have you guys, and you need a little more, let me give you just a second longer. It's going to be really important to identify if you can identify what things cause you to, to tumble and what things cause you to go up. We need like Aaron not playing in the background right now. Just kidding. All right. Does anybody mind throwing out some of the things that made you go down over the last one month to 10 years or so? Just throw out some things. Bad relationships. Change. Illness. Work. What? Grief. These are really good observations. What else? Teenager battles. Stress. Anybody else? Doubting self. Not choosing to be in a ministry. Not choosing to a, a choice in your life. Not being chosen. Oh, to being looked over. Yes. Okay. Being looked over for something that you wanted in your life. Okay. A stable home. Good. A dirty home. A dirty home. What else? 
Does anybody have any real small things that made you go down? Real small things? Did anybody put any small things down? Okay, great example. A disappointment of some type. Right. Yeah, a disappointment. Any other type of small? But they wouldn't let me go to the last one. You guys I'm glad. I'm glad you're here. Anybody else a small thing that knocked you down a little bit? Okay, let's talk about things that made you go up. That's, did you have something that knocked you down? Yeah. Oh. Seeing other friends that are down. Being around other people that are low. Yeah. Okay, what about things that made you go up? The conference. conference. Vacation. Family. Deliverance. Deliverance. Friends. Spending time with the Lord. Lord. Believing in self. self. Making the ultimate decision. decision. Helping others. others. Graduation. Graduation. Ooh, I like that one. Okay. What else? Answer to prayer. Fellowship. Nature. New job. Seeing other people's faith. Worship. Baby started sleeping through the night. Gloria. That's like the biggest one. That's practically like, you know, going to the real conference, but only bigger. It's like the opposite of being attracted, sexually attracted to your boss at work. You know, it's the other direction. Awesome. Okay. Anybody else? Huh? Accepting yourself's faults? Flaws. F-L-A-W-S. Okay, good. I can spell most words. It's only niche that I got a problem with. Okay. Anybody else? New grandchildren coming. Good. All right. Let's let's talk about patterns of of the of the downs and patterns of the ups in this whole group. There's patterns that emerge between the downs and the ups. For the, basically the whole group, even though we have an incredibly broad audience in terms of age, ethnicity, backgrounds, level of spiritual maturity. What would be just generalizing some of the things that cause downs? Loss. What else? Relationships. Disappointment. Money, fear. Okay. Unmet expectations. Okay. I'm going to put disappointments that just to generalize disappointments. Anybody else? Any ideas from the whole broad audience of things? And then we're going to end ups. What are the broad things for ups that we noticed that kind of emerged with the whole entire group? Community. Friends, which is kind of the same. Okay. Huh? Holy Spirit. Being saved. Family. And focus. Identity in Him. Intimacy. Worship. 
You guys have good memories. Very good. Now, what do you notice about these in terms of the context of what we talked about this weekend? What, how could we uh, classify all of these downs? What is the source and the root of all of those things? Me. Thank you very much. Steal, kill, and destroy. Every single one of those things that's taking you down, away from Christ, towards the enemy, right, could go into the category of steal, kill, and destroy. Think about your list or the things you put on yours. Put on your, put on your thing on your paper. Look at those and think how many of those things could be related to the enemy stealing, killing, and destroying on your, on your page, your own page from your own life. Close to 100%? Pretty close to 100%. Pretty close to 100%. All of those things, loss, relations, uh, relationships, disappointment, money, fear, all of those things are tools that the enemy uses to steal, kill, and destroy. And what's the motivation for him stealing, killing, and destroying your life? Is he just trying to look for something to do all day? No. He's, he, he has a very strong motive. Because all of those disappointments and pains are going to drive, tend to drive you away from Christ drive you away from Christ. And if you begin to notice when you have those things in your life, our typical response to all of those things, still killing, destroying, what is it? It's to isolate. It's to stay back from church. It's to um, do all the, you know, to just wallow in ourselves, be very introspective, whatever. You know what I'm saying? It's, it, it, it's like our responses almost exaggerate what the enemy is trying to do in their life. And that's all part of his plan, too. What about the ups? What about the ups? I have come to give you life and life more abundantly, more and better life than you ever dreamed of. What does that look like, those ups in our life? How do we have a more and better life, more than we've ever dreamed of? How do we have that? Look at your own, look at your own thing on your paper. How did those things happen? Mm-hmm. Going back to the sheet pen. Going back to the sheet pen. What else? Choosing joy. Yeah. So, so anyway, um, what happens is we have to be putting ourselves in a position for God to change us, right? If we're putting, if we're putting ourselves in a position for here, what's going to happen? We're going we're gonna to have things that are drawing us away from Christ. If we're putting ourselves in the position to be closer and closer to Christ. Um, and the, bo- the bottom line is, this is what I think. Um, it, uh, and I used to really um, chafe under this, especially when I was younger, about the spiritual disciplines. That's why people tell you to go to church, go to the conference. You need to come to my small group. You need to go to prayer meeting. And all those super-duper Christians that always, you know, bug you and invite you to things and make you feel guilty and stuff. The reason, the reason that that's happening is because they have seen basically what those abiding principles, those habits in your life do without you even realizing it. And it's like, you don't have to even be thinking, well, I'm going to come to the real conference and get closer to the blue line. You don't have to do that. You come and it's just part of who God is. It's part of how God works in spiritual community and all of those things um, to, to draw us closer to him and to a safer place. And then what happens is if we, um, when once we've been connected 
once we've been connected, it's, it's the easier it is to be connected longer and the easier it is to not fall as hard, um, a lot of times with those different seasons of our life. So I want you on your notebook real quick and the worship team can come up. I want you to the worship team. We're going to do just a, a big bullet reflection of the weekend real quick. Get ready to write a few things, just real short things. What is one thing that you are going to say no to when we, and we talked about this yesterday in terms of what we're going to eliminate in this morning. What is one thing you're going to say no to when you leave this building, you exit this building? What is one thing? I want everybody to write something down. What is one thing? It can be small. You, don't say cigarettes, okay? Or something. That's, that's, that might not be realistic at first. And you're not going to go to hell for smoking a cigarette. So let's think about something even, and I know that might blow your mind, but it's, what else could be even more important than that? What could be even more important? One thing that you're going to do. One thing that you're going to do that you're going to say you're going to remove from your life so that you can maximize and have time and energy and heart and soul to do something else. Somebody throw some things out at me. What are you going to say no to? A small thing. Okay, can we do it? I don't know what your question is, and so I don't know if it's going to be a long question. Sure, if you want to. My, the message this morning was talking about removing stuff so we have space, but if you want to add something, that's fine. As long as you have the space in your life to add something without taking something out. Okay, what are some things that, you, just throw out some things that you might have said. What is one thing? Negative self-talk. Complaining. Complaining. That is the Lord's will right there. Things I don't have. I want specific things I am not going to do when I exit the building today. Say no to negative thoughts. So if you don't like your parking spot when you exit the building, you're going to say, I don't care. I like this parking spot. Okay, oh, like a steal, kill, and destroy thing. You're going to try to identify that and say, no, that's just a steal, kill, and destroy thing. Good. A tool, write down when you have that thought, write that thought down so you can identify it. Oh, he says, I'm a loser, you know, whatever. That He says that's how the enemy is attempting to steal, kill, and destroy. So identify that when you have that negative thought, write it down so you don't forget it and you don't fall for it more than once. Good. What else? One thing you're going to, you're going to not do as soon as you leave. Social media. Awesome. What else? Quick. Saying yes. What else? Sorry, this person that was over here first. Okay. High expectations. Pleasing people. Paperwork from your job. I really like that one. Good job. Good answer. You know what? You know what mine is? I'm going to go to bed. I'm going to go to bed very early tonight because I have a big day tomorrow and it's been a long weekend. So what I'm going to say no to is anything after 8 o'clock tonight. I'm going to say no and I'm going to go to bed. 
That's what I'm going to do. I'm just giving you an example of like for me. And by saying by saying um, no to staying up and I'm going to go to bed early, by doing that, what am I saying? I'm saying yes to Christ because I'm opening myself to be more, you know, cognizant when I'm at church tomorrow, to sense his presence, to be led by the Lord when I'm preaching, all this kind of stuff. So it's a practical thing. I'm saying no, I'm removing, you know, I'm not going to watch, you know, an episode of Master Chef Junior tonight. Okay, I'm going to bed. Some of you else, give me an idea. Something like that. Real practical. Huh? No out-to-eat food. Excellent. I'm not going to waste my money on out-to-eat food tonight. That's not for the rest of your life. It's just tonight until you come back to church tomorrow. That's all. You're just going to say no. I love that. That's such a good answer. Good. What else? What? Daily to-do list. You're not going to write any to-do list when you go home from from real tonight. Okay? You're not even going to think about it until possibly after church tomorrow, but maybe not even then. No to-do list. You're not going to pressure yourself with your mind. We'll let you guys get this. Somebody else. Let's let's make this super practical. What are you going to say no to when you go home today? Perfectionism. So what is something you're not going to be a perfectionist about when you go home today that you would normally be? Everything. Okay, well, pick one thing. Pick one thing. If it would normally be that you would clean the kitchen, say, I'm not going to clean the kitchen today. Okay, one thing. Being a perfectionist is so broad. How do you know if you accomplish that? Pick something specific and say, I'm not going to do that, and I'm not going to clean the kitchen. What? You're not going to make dinner tonight. Your family can learn how to make rice and beans on their own. Even a young child can do that. I speak from experience. Uh, anybody else? If you get the cans that have the lids that go up like this and pull back, even a very young child can open a can. Okay. Say no to your teenagers. You're going to say no to your teenagers at least one time tonight before you get back to church tomorrow. Very good. Somebody else. We're talking about real life right here. Real, natural, ordinary, everyday life that's going to be changed so we cannot be crushed by the enemy designed to steal, kill, and destroy your life. We're not going to have that anymore. Who else? Good. You're not going to feel guilty. So if you feel guilty about something tonight, I want you to write in your journal, I feel guilty about this and I'm not going to do that anymore. Notice it in your life and then write it down and just leave it at the Lord's feet. Somebody else. Excellent. Excellent. That's going to help your marriage right there. And you know what that's going to do? That's going to help prevent your spouse from having an affair. Prevent you from having an affair. Prevent you from being bitter and angry your whole life. You know, prevent your children from seeing you bitter and angry. Just by doing that. You see how big that is? That's huge. From what the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy in your life. What's your name? Annika. From what the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy. She's taking a step back and saying... Nope, this isn't an area that this enemy is going to steal, kill, and destroy from my life. I'm removing that expectation. Very good. Anybody else? Just one or two more. Homework. Awesome. Great answer. Great answer. Anybody else? That's like revival right there, people. You have no idea. Okay. Okay, really quick. Real quick in your journal, I want you to really quick write the number for how you feel. You wrote uh, Friday night how you started. You started feeling about the thief, kill, steal, kill, and destroy. The thief. For-
for the thief, the natural, and the spiritual life. Start with the number from how you started on Friday and where you're at today in terms of how much you are aware of the thief's control in your life. What you started at versus what you're at now. Your natural life, what you were aware of about your natural life versus what you're aware of now. I'm super duper aware of it. I realized all these things, God's revealing to me, bringing it to my attention and so forth. I had no clue what was going on in my life before. It was just all railroading along. No clue. My life was running me. Spiritual life. Where were you at in terms of your spiritual life when you started yesterday and when you uh, are ending right now today? How many of you, your numbers changed in at least two of those categories? How many of you, your numbers changed in at least two of your categories? There's a lot of power to change. There's a lot of power to change. And he's enabling us to do it. So what we're going to do at the end, we're going to just worship. We're going to thank God for what he has done, what he is able to do, what he's able to change in us. And we're going to thank God for our normal, real, everyday life and our ability to put it in his hands so we're not controlled by the enemy. Let's just stand and we're going to sing together and as we do that just thank God for what he's done in you.